Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Today, we're in part two of a powerful interview with culture shaper Kevin McGarry. Last week, we unpacked the foundations of CRT, what Glenn Beck recently called critical race tyranny. And today, we continue the conversation on why so many universities and misguided churches are getting swept up in this movement. We pick up where we left off on the impact of biblical illiteracy in the church. We, we have to get reacquainted with the Word of God. It is our anchor. It is our source for all of these problems. At the end of the day, we must come to some sort of conclusion whether indeed the gospel and the word of God and the cross is enough for us. Some people would say no. Now, they would say with their mouth, oh, yeah, 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 no, I know, I know, yeah, the word is good enough, but with their actions, they would say, no, man, no, we need to hold on. We went through all those hundreds of years, you know, with these people oppressing us and this and that. And my ancestors and your ancestors, Kev, was all jacked up. No, this is our time to just take it to these white folks and get them to kneel and bow and bark like a dog and do whatever we want them to do. And, and this, is, this is foolishness. This is vengeance. Even after God tells us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right. This is uh, we're trying to mete out recompense on people because we think that, you know, and and the very people that did these horrible atrocities to our community, their generation's gone. So how are we just going to overlay this and say that, well, anybody white, you, you obviously an ancestor. We have a lot of people that have immigrated here from other places. They may happen to have a lack of, you know, melanin, but they, they've come from other places just in the past few years. And yet we're saying, well, no, they're white, so they're privileged and they got it. Excuse me? You don't have no idea what kind of backgrounds most of these people have come from. And uh, yet we want to overlay guilt, accusation, shame, and force people to act in ways that are, um, that are just uh, subservient and, 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 and as to try to mete out justice in our own terms. Uh, this is completely ungodly. This is completely antithetical. This cannot be justified in any way, shape, or form if you're adhering to the strict word of God and if you're at all following the fundamental tenets of the Bible. And that is a big if, if we're following those fundamental principles. And that's really what we're seeing today, this rampant biblical illiteracy. Neil Postman once said that truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. You talked about this biblical restoration, this peace that we all desperately need, this reconciliation to God. You know, I was talking with a friend last summer who really was caught up in the riots and this anger and all this vengeance that we've been talking about. And um, we started cross-referencing the conversation with the Jezebel spirit and this fruit that emerged just fascinating and very sobering, being unreasonable, unyielding, vengeful, controlling, manipulative, lawless, and 
not being able to sense a spirit of adoption as a true son or daughter. And so, you know, breaking off these spiritual ties, affirming our kingdom objectives. Churches need to be places that are bringing hope and healing. And of course, we do that through the word of God, through the one who is the great liberator. You know, we know a tree by its fruit. And when we look at the biblical principles and we think about the the fruit and the harvest of these movements, we have to ask ourselves, is it kingdom fruit? Because the seeds that we plant will be the fruit that we harvest. As Christians, obviously, it is our responsibility. Proverbs 31 tells us that we are to speak up and defend the rights of those who can't speak up for themselves. In a democracy, we do that by voting in candidates who support our values, which should be the values that God supports, right? Through using platforms like social media to bring hope and unity instead of division and discord. Because if we are, you know, oblivious to the role of politics and government and its aspect on every part of our lives, we're living with our heads in the sand. And that's really why our country is where it is right now. The church didn't speak up. The church cowered in a corner. It allowed anti-biblical narratives to dominate the airwaves. And, you know, we're tasked as Christians, we're tasked with standing up, showing up, speaking up. This mantle for fostering unity is on our shoulders. And so the objective has to be a kingdom objective. We talked a little bit about the shame movement and how it's rendered Christians so powerless that they're literally fearful of having an authentic conversation. When we look at the whole good versus evil, us versus them, this is the this is the enemy's language. You know, you and I have both been married decades and decades, and we know that in our marriages we have opposing viewpoints. But if we make those the focus of the relationship, what's gonna happen in the marriage? It's gonna dissolve. That same way, humans have to focus on unity. If we only focus on our differences, of course we're gonna be divided. Jesus was a model of forgiveness, not vengeance, hope, not bitterness, unity, not division, our identity in Christ, not our identity in our appearance, whether that's melanin or anything else. You know, if it doesn't bear kingdom fruit, it doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter what the movement is. Christians are not called to echo the narrative of a broken world. We're called to echo the truth of Jesus, to be the light of Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus said that he, we should be of good cheer because he overcame the world. And when I, when I think about the, the, the spirit of unforgiveness that is reigning in our culture, um, that popular saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other people. You know, that's really where we are as a culture. We are not of this world and we need to unite on eternal perspectives, not on temporal ones. I want to talk for a minute about this, this piece on discipleship. You and I had a great conversation this week at CVCU about the role of family discipleship that's been so absent in our culture for decades. We talked about Barna's study that 90% of Christian homes are not reading the Bible together and um, that parents are not training up. And this impact of fatherlessness, whether that's an absent father or just a father who's not engaged, who's not in the game, this is impacting our culture in a dramatic way. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you have been able to share some great stories with me, how you've been able to transmit the faith in your family and really hold on to that pattern of discipleship. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that the Lord dealt with my wife and I early on was this whole concept of the discipleship. And, you know, I had sort of a a legalistic way to view it. I thought, well, okay, well, discipleship, that just means that I'm going to get with another group of brothers and we're going to study the word and maybe we'll do it for six weeks or nine weeks. And the Lord really rebuked me on that. He said, that's not at all discipleship. Read the word of God, follow the uh, follow the pattern that Jesus left you for three and a half years. Jesus' pattern of discipleship, he didn't say, all right, brothers, come on now, let's uh, meet me down at the uh, synagogue uh, every Tuesday. We're going to go over the Torah and we're going to try to you know, reason together. No, no, that wasn't it at all. He simply shared lives with those brothers for three and a half years. That was discipleship. So it was Jesus sharing lives and they were sharpening each other along the way. Iron sharpened iron. They reasoned together. They lived life together. Um, and so the Lord helped me to see that. And he says, look, um, discipleship is, is earnestly and sincerely sharing lives with another brother or sister. But you must begin with your own household. So before we had kids, me and my wife, we were in discipleship relationship together, just, you know, sharpening each other, trying to help each other see the world and, you know, and, and refining each other and et cetera. And then when we started to have children, uh, which we have two, uh, we carried that pattern. The Lord said, look, I am not going to release you to disciple anyone else until you discipled your own household. And that's what we felt that he was telling us. Uh, other people may not have gotten that admonition, but for us, that's what it was. So we took that very seriously. So my son, I had a very, um, you know, you know, I just discipled him from from start to finish. And and by God's grace, he was, you know, he just got married last year and he, he, he you know, he saved himself for marriage and all of those after going through college and all of that. And he's 29 years old. So it's just a wonderful testimony there. Our daughter, you know, the same way she's 25. And um, so discipleship is important. Uh, it is vital. It, it's one of those things. If we read Matthew 28, um, and you read actually even the, the few verses before he gets to now, now go and, 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 you know, teach disciples and teach them to do their own thing. If you read further up, he says, look, um, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I'm going to give it to you to leverage. And, and he, gave, he basically said, look, the power and authority is being, you can leverage it as you go and you make disciples. And, uh, you know, and the, the whole thing, teaching them to observe all things and, and that. And um, so it's quite a responsibility. It is not uh, something casual. Um, and a lot of times we won't even see the power and authority that's given to us working unless and until we're in those discipleship relationships. Yes, discipleship has to begin in our own household. You know, Titus and Timothy both really talk about our kids being our spiritual resume that we aren't to lead others until, as you said, we've led out of our own home. You know, we really focus in on those both at CVCU and our K-12 program, Awaken Academy, where we're really working to restore that Luke 117 model, restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And I love how you ended that too, that we may not be able to see our real gate, our real gifts activated until we're actually working in those discipleship relationships that we need that foundation of maturity. Discipleship impacts culture. 
Frederick Buechner once said that as parents, we pass along either the brat or the bully, right, to the rest of culture. And because there's been this tragic lack of nurture and admonition in the next generation, they don't know how to self-regulate. They don't know how to receive correction and, and use it to become better. They either melt or explode. And we've seen a lot of that exploding in our culture lately. Here's one of the things that I like to think about. Last year, when all of this carnage was breaking out in our streets, what would the uh, would we have had a different reaction if those churches who were marching and, and rioting in a lot of cases with BLM, if those churches actually had a discipleship network and a discipleship model working within their church? I think it would have I think it would have gone something like this. A brother would have gotten hyped up about what's going on in the street. He would have called his, you know, discipler or somebody that he's in a discipleship relationship with. And he said, look, I, I think I'm going to get out here and do something because I, I hate what I saw. And the person who is in that discipleship relationship would have said, OK, well, you know, as per our, our, our commitment to kind of walk this thing out together and all of that and weigh everything against the word of God. Let's look at some scriptures. Let's, let's see if we can figure this out. And they would have come to those scriptures. That says, vengeance is mine. I will recompense whom I will recompense. Uh, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Um, let, uh, there, therefore, there is no condemnation. They would have seen all of these things sort of being illuminated before them. And at the end of the day, I think they could have come to a completely different conclusion to say, this is not our battle. We need to pray for these people. We need to pray for healing in our streets. We need to go out and intercede for them. But we are not going to march with them. Because the fundamentals of our faith are three fundamental things. That, and I talked about this yesterday, too. Um, we have to have faith, number one. We have to forgive or we won't be forgiven. And then number three, love. And if we weigh what was happening in the streets, we wouldn't have seen the spirit of forgiveness, and we certainly wouldn't have seen the spirit of love. So for us to go out and do and operate in those ways without forgiveness and without love being in full effect and putting, and, and basically we're, we're, we're seeing large communities putting themselves upon complete innocence. These businesses were innocent. These businesses and these business owners did nothing. They didn't step on that brother's neck and murder him. But they were taking out their frustration on communities and innocent people. That is not love. And I don't care how you try to justify it or, you know, there's some people that would certainly try to mince words and say, well, you know, it's probably loving and I don't know, even though you could, I can't even make up anything, but there's no way that you can justify that that was loving or that was forgiving in any way. So well said. You mentioned this concept of the Christian's responsibility being not to run away from conflict, but to run to it, to be offensive, to be ready and that contending for our religious freedoms, our religious liberty, like that is the biggest issue on our plate today. What are some practical steps our listeners can take to really firmly begin to contend for the faith in their own realm of influence right now? Number one practical step, I think, if we're going to, you know, contend for the faith, uh, first of all, I think that everybody should be involved in some sort of discipleship uh, relationship with with an individual, a group, it doesn't matter. But the discipleship relationships are key. 
Uh, the other thing that we need to do if we're going to contend for the faith is we need to begin to hold everyone accountable. That would be our local authorities. Uh, that would be our state authorities and certainly our federal authorities. And the way that we hold them accountable is we actually get civically engaged. We come up with a network uh, with phone numbers for those key people. And we say, look, uh, the most important thing for me right now is that we maintain our First Amendment and really the entire Bill of Rights. But our First Amendment, our ability to exercise our free speech and freedom of religion is just it's it's a non-negotiable. And the way things are going right now, it seems like you or or Mr. or Mrs. Legislator are more inclined to go with the flow with some of the other legislators uh, that you're in that you're in with. And I just want you to know we are we will do a recall election. We'll do whatever we got to do if you vote and um, with these people that want to destroy our communities and destroy our faith by not allowing us the free exercise of religion. We have to get serious that our religion is under threat. Now, will they say, well, you can't practice religion anymore? Probably not. But will they say, we'll cancel you? Will they say, we'll censor you? Will they say that we'll make you a domestic terrorist? Absolutely. And guess what? They've already said it. I just showed in that, in that workshop yesterday, three different articles, brand new articles just came out where they're basically saying, if you're a Christian, uh, you may be classified. Apparently, this administration is working with the NSA and CIA, and they're trying to classify Christians as domestic terrorists. What that means is that all of our uh, communications, NSA and CIA basically control all of our communications, uh, electronic communications. They have a backup of every email sent and everything like that. All of that would be monitored, censored, and uh, will be used against us if they ever want to directly come and start persecuting the church here in America, which ultimately it probably will happen. But uh, so there's things that are happening right now that are having a profound impact on our faith. And the church is pretty much silent. We've allowed them to dictate the rules for COVID. We've we've given them uh, the, uh, the authority to say when, where, and how we worship and whether we wear a mask or not. Uh, some of these things are public health concerns, but we're Americans first. And our rights, our, our Bill of Rights, are fundamental. They are not negotiable. And we need people that are serious about contending for those basic religious liberties. You know, America, if we're not careful, and we've already started to become a less, uh, far less free than other countries as it relates to religious liberties, if we're not careful, we'll be at the bottom rung. We'll be close to North Korea, China, and some of these other dictatorships and authoritarian states um, because we, we're not saying anything. We're allowing them to dictate the terms of our faith. And so this is a time to contend for the faith. And it basically has to do with get into a discipleship network so we can continue to sharpen and learn and grow together. But additionally, begin to hold everyone, I don't care if it's a local dog catcher, hold that individual accountable and start to rally others that if they step out of what is acceptable, um, we let their office know 
that that means we are going to make we're going to double down and make sure they're not voted in on the next uh, election cycle. That's so good. Like, if we don't forget that we're the land of the free because of the brave. We've got to speak up and hold fast to our rights while we have them. If you're a local pastor and you're listening to this show tonight, I just want to encourage you if you feel the Lord speaking to you, or maybe you just feel a little confused about some of these terms. What is CRT? We didn't even get to some of the powerful work he's done on fatherlessness and abortion and uh, really unpacking some of the the real genuine tragedies that are happening across our country. But maybe you're maybe you want a little bit more of a definition. You want some fast facts. You want some uh, some foundational truths that'll help you to navigate and and guide your congregation through these rocky times so that we can be those people who speak up for truth, who speak up for light. Um, we're going to be hosting, Chula Vista Christian University is going to be hosting a future event with Kevin McGarry, a workshop where you can come in with him and uh, great Q&A, but he's just got such tremendous downloads um, about breaking through the demonic doctrines that are sweeping our nation. He'll give you the truth you need. So Email me at drlisadunn at cvcu.us if you're interested in attending that. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Kevin, where can our listeners find out more about you if they want to learn? Again, we didn't get to fatherlessness, abortion. We'll have to have you back. And critical race theory, we talked about that. But uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and uh, really start to follow you? Excellent. You can go to everyblm.com, everyblm.com. And uh, it has all of our bios, profiles. Myself and my co-founder, Neil Momin, are there. You'll be able to get downloads on our uh, podcast, interviews, videos. We also have a YouTube channel. You can find out more about us there. We're active on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and et cetera. So uh, please uh, join us, follow us, support us, pray for us. We have a lot of work to do. The Bride of Christ is not the beautiful, unified bride that Jesus is coming back for. Right now, it's an ugly bride and it's decrepit. And um, so we we have a lot of work to do and we want to work with any and all of the faith communities and pastors so we can begin to really represent uh, the body of Christ as it should be. You heard it right here. It's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Thank you so much, Kevin. It has been a joy to have you with us at CVCU and here on the show as well. God bless you. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.